particularly in high net worth divorces, understanding each account and what the tax implication of it is, is really important and key. And making sure that you look at what it looks like, not just on the piece of paper on your net worth statement, but also what will it look like after tax for me to make sure that it's fair, that it's equitable between the two of you. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. This week on Financially Ever After, we are pleased to share another crossover episode. Stacey Francis joins Barbara LaPointe on the Healing Broken Families podcast to talk about the journey to and the path after divorce and what you need to do to protect your own financial well-being. Please enjoy this episode, and if you like it, subscribe to the Healing Broken Families podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another great guest conversation on Financially Ever After. Welcome to the Healing Broken Families podcast, where I host conversations on divorce, parental alienation, and high-conflict personalities. I'm Barbara LaPointe. I'm a divorce coach and your host today. I am honored to sit down with Stacey Francis, president and CEO from Francis Financial to discuss an incredibly important topic, an urgent topic for women. We're going to dive deep into becoming financially savvy, how to create empowering strategies for financial planning and wealth management before, during, and after divorce. Maybe it will be a step closer to financial mastery. I'm going to read Stacey Francis's bio. It's an incredible bio. And I just want to take a moment to let you know who we're sitting down with today. Stacey Francis is the president and CEO of Francis Financial, a fee-only boutique wealth management and financial planning firm dedicated to improving lives through financial and personal empowerment. The firm provides ongoing comprehensive advice for individuals and couples and women specializing in helping widows and divorcing or divorced women. Stacy, our guest today, is a certified financial planner, a certified divorce financial analyst, certified grief recovery specialist, and a certified estate and trust specialist with over 20 years of experience in the financial industry. Ladies, I feel we are in very capable and good hands here. So without further ado, welcome, Stacy. Thank you, Barbara. I could not think of a better place or time to spend this with you and talking about something I'm so passionate about, and that's really financial empowerment and financial security for women. Well, it's an honor to have you here and an I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to emerge and what I might learn and what others might learn. I believe that we all want to navigate financial choices with clarity and confidence. Yeah. And for most women, when you ask what's important about money to you, it's not the handbag. It's not the fancy car. It's financial security. I so agree with you. That's what the majority of women are really searching for is how do I bring more financial security to my life, especially in times that we live with with so much uncertainty? 
with the market going up and down and different headlines hitting CNN and the news every day. Financial security is that bedrock to help you get through these real turbulent times. I couldn't agree more. We're living in unprecedented historical times where so much is on the line and all of that even becomes more into question when you go through divorce. Yes. I wanted to start off with a little joke. It's by uh, Robin Williams because financial stuff usually makes me pretty nervous, but he said (laughs) that divorce is expensive. He said it's ripping your heart out through your wallet. And I can only imagine that there's a lot of men and women out there that that have that fear. And I know divorce is expensive, but hopefully you're going to highlight a whole other way we can look at it that's far more positive. Yeah. And that is my hope too, of giving you the information and the tools you need to make really good decisions about your finances during divorce and after. Divorce doesn't have to be expensive. And when a lot of people think about how expensive divorce is, they concentrate on the legal fees, which if we have time, we can even talk a little bit about how we can try and minimize some of those. But the other expense of divorce is how it can put you back financially long-term and how many women in particular, we struggle to catch up. And our standard of living is depressed for many, many, many more years than what we see of our male counterparts go through. We just have less ability to rebound in the same way. And sometimes it's because we've been out of the workforce Mm -hmm. or even if we are in the workforce, we might not be the primary breadwinner. That's not always necessarily the case. And other things that can hold us back is if we are taking care of the children afterwards and we have primary custody, then it can be a little harder to be a working mom too. And I've talked to so many women who, in fact, one of them just last night, who stepped away from jobs that were very lucrative to be at home to support the kids. And when I say that, I mean, kids need support at all different times and their their needs of when they're little and itty bitty are very great, but they also can be when they're teenagers and sometimes even more so depending on what they're facing. So as women, divorce can be expensive and it's just not the legal fees. It's expensive for the rest of our life. And we unfortunately can find ourselves in a tough financial position. I agree. It is very difficult for women. And so what financial aspects in divorce do women sometimes forget about when we're planning that window, whether it's a five-year window, 10-year window, 15-year window? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, sometimes I understand why we as women sometimes don't think about the whole financial picture. And the goal is just to kind of get out of the divorce can be so difficult. And as Robin Williams said, it's like pulling your heart out through your wallet. Well, it's also all those emotions. And sometimes I do see our clients willing to accept an agreement that isn't necessarily fair to them. They're leaving money on the table because they're dealing with a difficult spouse, a spouse that maybe isn't revealing all of the assets and information that they need to make good, sound decisions and wanting to just get out of the marriage to a new place to start their life. And I can 100% understand why so many people feel that way. 
But the challenge that we face is that short-term focus can have long-term impact. And so when you're looking at that settlement agreement and you're looking at the split between your spouse and yourself and what you might be receiving or paying for child support or spousal support, to think about, does this work for me now? Does this work for me in five years? And does this work for me long-term? And think not just the here and now, I'm going to be fine while I'm receiving the spousal support and the child support, but I'm going to be falling off a cliff afterwards. Really thinking long-term to make sure that you're going to be financially secure out to age 95. And your spouse is not responsible to keep you financially secure out to 95, nor are you responsible for your spouse, but you're responsible for yourself. And there are a lot of decisions about what assets to take, whether or not you keep the primary home or sell it and downsize, whether you might go back to work. And, you know, as much as we don't like to have to do it, but possibly change our expenses and how much we're spending and what our lifestyle costs. These are all tools that we have as women to set ourselves up for a long-term financial security future. Very helpful. I think one common and very big question on women's minds is the matrimonial home. Yeah. I'm just guessing. And it's every situation is unique, but what are your recommendations around selling or keeping the, the marital home? For most couples, it's the most valuable asset they have, especially because we've seen real estate go up in value over all these years. And what I find is that the majority of the women that we work with would prefer to keep the home, especially if they have children. And the source of doing this is from a very good place. It's to maintain stability, could be to also keep expenses low. Maybe there's no mortgage or they've been paying down the mortgage for many years. So the mortgage payment is relatively low. But for some women, keeping the house actually doesn't work. And there's a few reasons. If you are going to take the home, say it's worth a million dollars, we'll just use a big number like that. It means that you're taking this million dollar asset you're going to have to give your spouse another asset that's worth a million dollars for it to equal out. And where is that going to come from? Very few people have that much money where they have a million dollar home and they have a million dollar brokerage account and maybe a million dollar retirement account. So it could be that by taking the house, you've got these wonderful four walls, but you don't have a retirement portfolio working for you for your long term future. You're exposing yourself to essentially this asset better go up in value because you've just given up a retirement plan that could be growing at 5% or 6% in the, the stock market. Now you have a house typically will grow by 3% roughly. And of course, every part of the country is a little different, but you're making a different, you're exchanging different types of assets and they have different growth potentials. And so, you know, understanding that that's one of the things that is really important, Barbara. And have you seen women also kind of torn with this conflict? Yes, just because there's so much emotionality tied into the asset of the matrimonial home. It's just such a place that's anchored to our sense of home, our sense of safety. And to me, it's quite an emotional part of the whole negotiation for women. Yeah. Divorce. Yeah. And it's a hard one. And it's not only 
this is an asset that will have a different growth rate than, let's say, your retirement plan. Your retirement plan doesn't cost you money. Your house is going to eventually potentially need a new roof. It might, might need its boiler fixed. It's an asset that costs money. Often, we'll see that she'll take the home for a certain period of time and then after that sell. But what's difficult is that when she sells, she's also burdening all the expenses of selling. If there's any real estate agent fees, the prep for selling it, the moving cost, if there's been any gains in the value of the property, potentially having to pay some taxes. These are all things that taking a real hard look at the house and making a decision during the divorce is, is this right for me? So that if you do sell, you can share those costs with your spouse, not just you burning it. Or if you're going to keep it, that you put that in your agreement that we agree we're going to keep this until the kids graduate college. And at that point, we'll sell it and we'll both deal with the costs of selling. So there are ways, ways around it, but uh, it's just being thoughtful. And to be honest, I think being creative too. Usually if there's a will, there's a way of finding something that's going to work for your family. I feel like right now is a perfect moment for me to just jump in with this question of when would you recommend that women retain a financial advisor like yourself? Because if all the considering everything you just shared, all very, very valuable. I feel you may or may not get that help from a family lawyer. If you have a good family lawyer that's very competent in with the numbers and with, with the market and with finances, you might get that, you might not. It's funny, a friend of mine said, myself included, she goes, I went to law school to get away from numbers, not to embrace them. And look, I am, I'm in this, I'm in this profession with a lot of numbers. So you're right. Some matrimonial attorneys, I think are quite comfortable with numbers, but a lot are not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And how can you know if they're comfortable with numbers? Well, there's a couple things. You can ask them, do they have a certified divorce financial analyst designation? So that's the designation I have as a financial professional, but lawyers can get it too. And I know of a few who do. And they're typically the lawyers who have very complex financial clients, like very similar to we we work with. Another question you can ask is, what financial training have you had? What types of divorces have you worked on? And these questions that you're asking your lawyer are the exact same questions that you should be asking a financial advisor. And... I'll get to that question of when is the best time to bring a financial advisor in, because I think that that's really interesting. But what's most important is how do you find a good one? And it's very difficult, Barbara, because we all look the same. Maybe I'm a little different. I'm a woman. There are not that many women, but most of us, at least from the outside and on our business cards, we look very, very similar. And the biggest question you want to ask is how many cases have you worked on? How many matrimonial cases have you advised your clients on and worked with a a lawyer? And the vast majority of divorce financial analysts work on one to three cases a year. And unfortunately, that's not enough. It's like saying, how many heart surgeries do you do a year? One to three. That's not the doctor I would want to go to. I would want to go to the person who does heart surgery day in and day out, all day. And so that's one of the questions. We work on 30 cases a year, which we are, to be honest, the largest, most experienced, tend to work on the most financially complex divorces there are. We're known for that. But the positive of that 
is that we've seen pretty much everything. And so we can really help our clients. And when is the right time to work with a financial advisor? It's really interesting, Barbara, because that's a question that I would reflect inwards to your listeners. We have some people that will reach out to us that are not sure if they want to get a divorce. And one of their biggest fears of getting a divorce is whether or not they're going to be okay financially. So they'll talk to us in a complimentary meeting. What should I be thinking about? What might the divorce settlement look like? Will I be okay financially? Where we we talk about some of these issues so that as they make that decision, whatever that decision is, they have more information and knowledge. So sometimes someone will come before. Some women will come at the very beginning where they've decided, this is what I want to do. I really want you to work with me. Can you help me find a lawyer? Some will reach out to us like a woman last week who received a settlement agreement and the split. And I'm glad you're sitting down, Barbara. In his proposal to her, he accepts 80% of all the marital assets and he gave her 20%. Mm. That's a problem. The neon lights went up of, okay, he's not playing fair. I need to get a financial in here to advocate for me and show what I need. And then some people will, you know, a financial will come in after. But the one piece about coming after you've signed the agreement, there have been many agreements that I've read where she has said yes to certain things or no, and our advice would have been different. It's kind of like filing your taxes. You want tax advice before December 31st. After December 31st, well, you can't really do a whole lot because you're filing your taxes, at least in the US. And I know, I think in Canada, you have different dates as well. But same story though. Yeah, same, similar story. And for every person, it's a little different of when they feel like they need that support and that advice. I came to this because my grandmother never got that advice and she wanted to leave her marriage, but she felt financially trapped. And she never left. She actually was abused and ended up dying from the abuse. And Barbara, so what I say to everyone, when you need that advice, you go get it. There are people out there. If we're not the right fit for you, that's fine. We will find a great resource for you, someone that is going to be able to support you. And I created this beautiful charity called Savvy Ladies, where we work one-on-one with thousands of women each year pro bono. It's a 501c3. We have many women that we serve across all of the United States as well as Canada. And you can work one-on-one with a divorce financial analyst, with a certified financial planner, free of charge. And it's all in honor of the memory of my grandmother because I know, I know she would want that for other women. And so whatever your listeners are, whatever their net worth is, it doesn't matter. They can reach out to SavvyLadies.org and get that support and get that advice so that they have the information they need to make good decisions. That's a tremendous, tremendously empowering resource, SavvyLadies.org. I encourage everyone to go and take advantage of that and reach out and self-advocate and and get empowered just step-by-step, SavvyLadies.org. I love that. I love the story of your grandmother too, because I'm sure that there's a ancestry of many women who were trapped because of finances in marriage. It's usually the number one reason women stay. And it's understandable, but it doesn't have to be that way with the right support and the right knowledge. Absolutely true. And I know a lot of the information we're going to cover today is going to be valuable for any woman. 
but I did want to ask you if there are special or important considerations with respect to high net worth divorces. That's one of your yeah. and so I just wanted to take advantage yeah. of your expertise in that area. Yeah, it's interesting. Many people don't think of themselves as high net worth. I mean, we just don't think of ourselves that way, even if we do have money, but we do tend to work with a lot of people who have significant or very complex assets. And there are a lot of things to think about because a dollar in your checking account does not have the same value as a dollar that's in your retirement account. Your retirement account, when you take it out, Canada's right there saying, you owe me taxes. And we work with a lot of clients in Canada and they don't skip a beat on when you take money out of your account, you have to pay taxes as if it came to you in your paycheck. So you are paying the highest rate of taxes. Whereas if you have your money in your checking account, that dollar comes to you and well, it's a dollar in your pocket. There's no taxes that are really ever due. And so one of the mistakes I see is she'll say, I'll take the million dollar retirement account, which after tax might only be worth $500,000. And he takes the million dollar checking account or savings account, which is worth a million dollars. So thinking about that, and then it even you know becomes more complex with a brokerage account, so a non-retirement account. And we've seen what stocks have done over the last decade. You buy a stock for $100, it might be at $200 now. Well, that $100 of growth is wonderful. But if you were to sell that stock, Canada's going to be right there again. And they're going to say, pay us that capital gains tax. And so a million dollars in your brokerage account, your non-retirement account, after taxes might only be worth 800000 So it's a long convoluted way of me saying that particularly in high net worth divorces, understanding each account and what the tax implication of it is, is really important and key. And making sure that you look at what it looks like, not just on the piece of paper on your net worth statement, but also what will it look like after tax for me to make sure that it's fair, that it's equitable between the two of you. To really get the true value, the true value of your net takeaway, so to speak. Yeah, it is. And there are some people too that will say things like, oh, these stock options or these restricted stock units, they're not vested. So they don't have a value. You know, Barbara, that's not the case. If they were earned during the marriage, that you may be entitled to some of those very lucrative stock options and those very lucrative restricted stock units. So there are a lot of very unique pieces that you want to also make sure that you get a consultation on as well. I love the specificity what that's happening in this conversation to just the specifics of going towards marching towards a settlement, financially speaking. So once let's just imagine that we did arrive at a settlement. What would you suggest would be a really powerful first step for a woman after she's arrived at settlement? What I find a lot of the women that come to us, they'll have their portfolio, their money that they have from the settlement, and we'll look through it. And it's almost like they're trying to wear their ex-spouse's pants. And I mean, at least I know my husband's pants wouldn't fit me. And for most women, we don't fit into our husband's, you know, our ex-husband's pants either, but yet we'll keep the same investments in our investment portfolio as we had when we were married. And that is one of the biggest 
mistakes I see is that we think that the investment portfolio and the way that we were invested during our marriage is the same way that we need to invest now for us as a single woman and for our future. And that's not the case. Your needs are specific to you. And how we know how to invest for our clients is we actually do a beautiful financial plan out to age 95. And it's a roadmap that shows them every year, everything from adding in the cost of Medicare or new health insurance to vacations, eating out, Amazon, every single piece is in there. And it tells us what their portfolio needs to do to bridge that gap, to get them safely out to age 95. It's a really wonderful way to do a kind of a stress test to see, am I too conservative? Am I too aggressive? Is there not enough risk? Is there too much risk? So that it's customized and tailored for you. We tend to work with a lot of high net worth individuals. Our, our minimum to manage assets is $1 million. And that's through Francis Financial. But know that Savvy Ladies, there's no income testing. We will help and we will support anyone. If she comes to us, we will help her, give her the information she needs. And what's wonderful about Canada so here in the U.S. on our, our markets is that we have beautiful what we call mutual funds or exchange traded funds, which are essentially baskets of different types of stocks, baskets of different types of bonds. And so it's really convenient and easy to create diversified portfolios without having to have that million dollars. In fact, my kids are investors and they started off with $50 and they've grown it. They're now at $2,500. I'm pretty darn impressed with what they've been able to do. But what I really just want to say is that investing for women is so important. We need our money to work for us. We live such a long lifestyle. Our health insurance, our health costs are typically more expensive in our older years because, again, we outlive our, our male counterparts. And so we need to save more, even more so. And often we start retirement with less money than men. So we do need our money working for us and investing. Every woman needs to be investing. As a life coach, I can't help but pose the question to just invite the audience to just simply imagine that you had a plan in place to the age of 95 with a professional such as yourself. What would that give you? How would that change your life? What are the many ways that you would feel more comforted, more empowered, safer? Because you're right, 95, that's a long time. I think that's really a neat possibility and opportunity to just plan it out that long. That's a big window. Yeah, it is. And for women in particular, we don't really retire in the same way that I think that our moms or grandmothers did. We have a full, active, vibrant life. Life almost is just starting in our 60s. And there's so much possibility and so much excitement. And how much you love yourself today. Well, are you going to love her as much when you're 60? Are you going to love yourself just as much when you're 70? Yes, you will. You visualize that amazing person that you're going to be and make sure that you take care of her because that's what this is about. This is about taking care of her. Mm -hmm. Whether that's 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, she deserves to be taken care of. And the only person who's going to be able to do that is you. And the love you have for yourself, the love you have for that amazing woman out in those decades to come is what's going to give you the, the encouragement, the motivation, and the passion 
to do this planning. And I'll be honest, it can be a little overwhelming. I feel like finance in general does not do a great job inviting women in and embracing women. And so that needs to change. And so educating ourselves, uh, taking those steps, whether it's through Savvy Ladies or however that is, it's an investment in the future of you. And just as you go to the gym because you know that you need to keep your body strong and healthy while investing and learning about finances and all these pieces, it's the same thing of keeping your financial future strong and healthy too. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it in a more beautiful, beautiful way. It really is a self, it's a self love It is issue yeah. and yeah. to love yourself now and take care of your future self and your even more future self each, you know, at 70, 80, 90 to love yeah. yourself. It's such an important topic and such an important topic for women. Absolutely. I just want to loop back really quick to the beginning of this podcast before we come to a close today, because I, I love to just touch on legal fees. And you, you said you could speak to that because that's a big part of the bill yeah. divorce. And if you had yeah. tips on how to negotiate, manage, maneuver yeah. all of the incredible legal fees that can come up, that'd be really helpful. Yes. And Barbara, I'm so glad that you remembered that and brought that back up because I think this is a great takeaway. Three things to remember. Number one, the more prepared you are with understanding the finances, the less your legal fees. So one of the biggest tips that we say to women who are thinking about divorce or starting the process is get all that information together. Write down the whole list of what's in the checking account, the savings account, your retirement accounts, your brokerage accounts, the value of your home, if there's a mortgage, if you have any automobile loans or, or student loans, whatever it might be, make that entire list. And if you really want to be a go-getter, which would make my heart pitter-patter, if you can print out a statement of each one of those accounts mm -hmm. so that you have the most recent financial statement and you can just call up your institution, HSBC, wherever that might be saying, can you please send me the most recent? Or if you're online, you can just print out. That is going to make the job of your matrimonial attorney and your advisor, if you are using a financial advisor, infinitely easier. Now, the second thing you need to do is you need to understand your expenses. This is the second most time-consuming area of a divorce, spending time to really understand what your expenses are. And that means everything, not only for you, but have separate expenses for your children. This shows what you need. And one of the telltale signs that I know that someone has not spent enough time is they fill out a form of their expenses, which there's one right on the Savvy Ladies website that you can use. All of the expenses end in either a zero or a five. And Barbara, why do you think that that makes me very fishy that they just kind of ballparked their expenses? Probably because they don't know them. They're not buttoned down yeah. on what the actual expenses are. Exactly. So when we see people rounding to zero or five, it means that they haven't actually gone through what their utility bill is and really gotten as specific as possible. Because what we do, just human nature, and there's no judgments of anyone, as human nature, we tend to underestimate our expenses. We forget about the parking ticket. We forget about the dog license fees that we have to renew, the repair bill on our car that we have every, you know, every two years. But if you really look at that, 
And mint.com is a great website that will actually automatically categorize everything for you if you connect your checking account, connect your credit card accounts. There's no charge. It's very secure and it's a great, easy way. So number one, understand your assets and expenses. Sorry, understand your assets and your liabilities. Number two, understand where you're spending your money and what that is. And number three, be smart about how you use your attorney. Your attorney is not your friend. I hate to say that. They can be lovely. They're not your coach. They're not your therapist. That's why you hire someone like yourself. And I have seen over and over and over again, Barbara, the clients of ours that are the most successful and come out with the least in fees and the most whole financially and emotionally are those that work with coaches and therapists. And they have that support and they're better able to work effectively with their matrimonial attorney, better able to deal with a spouse that might push their buttons and don't use their matrimonial attorney as a therapist. They know the best use of that attorney of how to get them to the end line. That would be my third. And and to be honest, that's where I see the most costly mistakes of, again, not having the right support and using your lawyer for that support. I think those are brilliant. Three really brilliant points. Really brilliant. Yeah, I'm kind of speechless because I've made a lot of those mistakes. And so I can attest to what you're saying is true. If you have the right support system, you really can be a savvy lady through divorce because it does. It takes a lot more than what people realize to get through divorce in a healthy whole way. It's not as easy as as women think. So you do need the financial, the emotional support, a coach, a therapist, like what you're saying, and a good ethical family lawyer. Like it's, it's a lot. You need a real team around you. You do. And unfortunately, it's not something that happens very quickly. Divorce takes longer than you ever hope or expect. And so that is why that team around you is so important and key. And you know what? It's different in some ways. But if you think about the support that a woman would need if her spouse suddenly passes away, you immediately know in your mind, she needs a therapist. She needs a coach. She needs someone to help her maybe even make dinner for her and the kids, maybe help with school drop-off. Those same emotions that she is going through with losing her spouse, a divorce is the same. Even if it's something that you wanted and you initiated, it's still a loss. It's still unbelievably emotionally traumatic. And I just want to share that because a woman going through divorce often doesn't give herself permission to grieve and to allow herself that, let alone to ask for help. It's just so bang on, perfectly true and accurate what you're saying. And sometimes I get so frustrated because I see a lot of the old me when I go out into the world. I do encounter in my groups and communities, many women who are just like, I've got this and they're going at it alone, not accepting support and help. Through yeah. a very difficult time of divorce, which, as you said, is a huge loss, a huge, huge yeah. grieving. It's just such good points that you're bringing up. And it is a long time. So I always say it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Oh, bless, is it a marathon? Yeah. <laughs> it's a marathon. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Stacey, you've been such a pleasure to chat with and, and brought so many 
healing gifts to this conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you for doing this work. I just am so pleased I could sit and talk about this all day. So I know we just scratched the surface, but between this podcast and your other podcasts and all the resources we shared, I'm feeling really confident that your listeners got all the tools that they need 